Welcome to the Surveyor Hub podcast with me, Marion Ellis, a chartered surveyor, coach, business mentor, and founder of the Surveyor Hub community. Each week on this podcast, I speak to surveyors and people in the industry about their careers, business journeys, and day-to-day work. Listen to their real-life stories, step into their shoes, and leave feeling connected to the conversation. So, welcome to the podcast today, Michael Day. Good morning. Welcome to me. Thank you. (laughs) Now, your name has popped up a number of times, um, because I think we've judged at the same Property Press Awards, Convincing Awards, that kind of thing. And I think we, I don't know whether we met briefly, perhaps, at um, the Home Buying and Selling Group meeting run by Kate Faulkner. You yeah, know? I'm involved in a, you yeah, know, one of these yeah. dreadful people that's involved in everything. Yep. Well, yeah. And so when something popped up on my LinkedIn feed and I had to look at your profile, and as I was looking at the alphabet after your name, <laughs> I noticed it said F-R-I-C-S. And I thought you must be an interesting person to chat to. Hence, I reached out and, uh, and we've got you on the podcast. So for those who are listening, who have no idea, quite frankly, who you are, Mike, uh, Michael, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, Mike Day, 45 years now in the residential property industry, started when I was three. All of that has been spent on, let's call it the estate agency end of the market. I started as a as a trainee negotiator and, and worked my way through. I've held various positions. I was a main board director at Connells for a number of years. I've owned my own businesses, etc. Currently, um, for the last 17 years, I've been running a business called Integra Property Services, which has around about 850 estate agency clients and and some conveyances and a few you know surveyors and a few other people around the property industry. And I mainly do three things. One is business mentoring. So I act as a, um, a quasi non-exec director to businesses, helping a business owners with their organization, their strategy, etc. I do a lot of training in the industry, a combination of compliance, um, sales and management training. And I do a lot of copywriting. So um, hence the fact I do get involved in things like journalism awards and whatever, because I do quite a lot of writing in the trade press either under my own name or sometimes I'm doing it on behalf of ghostwriting on behalf of other people. As you say, I've got more letters after my name than in my name. I'm a fellow of uh, RICS, NAEA and ARLA, and I've got an MBA from uh, Reading. So, um, yeah, worn the T-shirt, starred in the movie and um, having great fun. And you're actually wearing a Watford FC T-shirt today, I notice. I know, I put it on specially. We were we were just chatting before we sort of started this podcast, and I was we were talking about comparing our rooms. And you're in a, a right old man cave there, aren't you? I certainly am. I'm very fortunate. A few years ago, I it used to be a double garage as part of the house, and I built a new double garage at the house and converted the existing double garage into a man cave, and it doubles as an office and as a recording studio. I've I've got more guitars than talent and um, a lot of gear. So I really enjoy that. Of course, with the lockdowns we've had over the last year, one finds oneself spending more and more time in here. And so I'm very grateful that I've got an excellent space to operate in. Yeah, that finding that personal space is really important. I remember, I think we got to about sort of two months into the first lockdown and I realised I hadn't, I hadn't left the ch- the house without a child or a scooter or I just had somebody near me all the time and just finding that that space was was really important. I like the fact that you're a bit of a 
a rocker because I come across a lot of surveyors who are some kind of rocker in a band or a drummer or something like that and have that creative outlet. And I think because sometimes perhaps maybe not so much for you if you're in the, the estate agency side, but for a lot of surveyors, we do quite technical roles. You know, we have quite rigid rules and compliance and regulation and to have that kind of creative outlet is really important. Yeah. And, and I noticed on your, uh, I think one of your feeds that sort of popped up, you've been, you recorded and put out some songs during lockdown. Yeah, I'm a, I mean, there's only three, th- I mean, I've been in this business a long time, but there's only three things I would ever rather have done than be in the property industry. Number one is I'd love to have been a professional footballer, but quite simply, I wasn't good enough. Number two, I'd love to have been a professional musician. Now, we'll never know whether I would have been good enough or not. I was never quite prepared to risk it all to do it. I played semi-pro and whatever, but I was never quite prepared to sort of, you know, throw it all in to try and make it. And the third one is I'd love to have been a professional gigolo, but I clearly wasn't good enough at that either. So um, I ended up in property. So tell me tell me about that because, you know, you've got these sort of different letters after your name and I, and I see... Oh, I hope I don't offend you here now. And I see this with, with some with some people is that they just seem to collect. <laughs> you know, we sort of often joke about my my good friend and colleague Larry Russon, who has literally, you know, he's into double lines. You know, he's an academic and just goes for the for the next thing. But tell me about how did you collect collect those? Is it that you become a fellow in one and it's easy then to pick up fellowship in the others? Yeah, no, I pay my subs and they give me these letters. It's marvellous. No, it's a little more difficult than that. Um, when I started in the industry, I was 16 and, and I joined a company called Reefham & Company, just a small general practice, estate agency, surveyors, etc. And Len Reefham, God bless his soul, was the proprietor. And part of the reason I joined them was I got day release um, to go and do qualifications. Now, at the time, I, I studied and passed and qualified as an ISB, as a member of ISBA. And I'd qualified by the time I was 21. And I'd also had five years of obviously operating in the industry. One of the things that was different then to it often now is that I was able to go into a business and try a little bit of everything. So they did property management, they did a little bit of commercial, residential surveying. And I was able to sort of hold the tape for the surveyor. I was able to do this, that, and the other, and actually learn. And through that period, I decided that what I didn't want to do and what I did want to do. And so now, unfortunately, people come into the industry often and they've almost had to decide what particular channel they want to go in when they start. So I was fortunate there. The other qualifications I've got, the NAEA, um, quite simply, um, I've been a member uh, for, I don't know, 30, 40, 40 years probably. And that was because it was an estate agency qualification and that was easy to get into, quite frankly, at the time, and I joined. The ARLA qualification I only um, took a few years ago when, with my business, I realised 10, 12 years ago that the lettings market, the private rental sector, was the growth sector in the industry. It was the valuable sector in the estate agency world. If you were selling a business, for example, it's the lettings business that's where the value is, not the sales business. And I realised that I needed to bring myself more up to speed around the legislation and everything. Um, And that's why I ended up doing the ARLA qualification. Likewise, 20 odd years ago, I put myself through an MBA. I was a main board director at Connells. And in my spare time over an 18 month period, I did an MBA at Reading University. And that was the best qualification I ever got. And that transformed my life. And that is what led to me setting up my own business 
and doing the work I do now. So I'm a huge believer in qualifications, but at the end of the day, you've got to obviously put them into practice and use them for some advantage. Touch wood, I've done that. And it's interesting. I mean, I had a sort of a, I was going to say, similar path to you in terms of the variety of roles. I did a graduate scheme that meant that you had to do a variety of um, different Mm -hmm. roles within within a business. And that doesn't happen so often now. You're right. You're sort of choosing the job before you... Before you, know. you actually get started and and who knows what that looks like because by the time you've you've, you've finished and qualified the, the world's changed particularly when we when you look at things like um uh, you know like uh technology and how that is it has changed over the years and, and the way to get qualified now you know a few of my guests on the podcasts have had sort of similar experiences to you and it was it was hard and well earned to I mean it is now but it was you had to it took a long time to do really felt that you've earned your qualification. One of the criticisms I would make levy at the, you know, the professional bodies is that they've slowly raised the bar on entry. One of the reasons I went down the ISBA route, at the time, you needed O-levels. To join RICS at the time, you needed A-levels. Now, of course, it's graduate entry. And we do, and you know, whether this is government-led or whatever, we've moved the bar higher and higher. And my view has always been that it's not where you start it's where you get to and what you do. And I do feel that we've moved away from more and more from vocational and sort of apprenticeship style um, learning. And there is a place for that. We're sending kids to university. They go to university. They get a degree in something that, you know, it's a great experience, or it was pre-COVID, great experience, but they're not necessarily doing so because they're going to get a particular direction it's just part of an experience which is fine but there needs to be roots for other people and I think um, one of the things that I hope will change in the coming years is that we will go back to a sort of a two-pronged strategy in terms of um, development for people. Yeah and I think also now we're much more as a society in tune to different people's needs different ways that they learn and I come across a lot of surveyors who are actually dyslexic you know, and so perhaps the university... I thought, all were dyslexic. I thought it was a requirement. <laughs> it's a superpower, if you ask me. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's... um, And therefore, you know, sort of a university environment, it can be harder for people, but it doesn't mean that they can't, they can't learn. But as a society, we recognise things like that now. You know, I mean, it was years ago. It wasn't wasn't talked about. But two of my um, my siblings um, are dyslexic, and they were diagnosed when they were at university. And we did a podcast on on this. Can't remember what number it was early on when I when I started because I'd interviewed a few people, surveyors, and they all started with or they they mentioned, oh, and I'm dyslexic, and I'd never never really come across this. So I think having that wide range of different ways that you can get to where you want to be is really important now absolutely and i think the other the other big topic area at the moment obviously we're, we're in we're in the third lockdown as we as we talk today is mental health mental well-being mm-hmm. a huge huge growing issue right across the piece but also very much in our industry in the property industry um, it's one of the reasons that um, last year i got involved as a founder member in the agents together charity, which is doing some great work um, providing mentoring. We are now currently mentoring around about 250 people every month to help them with their careers, with their personal developments, et cetera, et cetera, and to build up their resilience and and strength. And we recently produced a report on um, mental health within the industry. And if I'm perfect, it's available on the Agents Together website. But 
it's staggering the amount of people who are now putting their hands up and saying, hey, you know, they've had a problem. And back in the day, we would have said to them, oh, for God's sake, man up, give yourself a checkup from the neck up and whatever. And maybe that, that approach now is, um, you know, <laughs> not the, the right way ahead. And I think we have to accept the fact that a lot of people are struggling, particularly, obviously, with lockdown, you know, with the sort of changed environment that we're in, the less contact with people, certainly less physical contact with people. And as, a, as a, you know, as people, we're not designed that way. We're not really designed to spend our lives in a darkened room in front of a Zoom camera. We really are, you know, much more about getting out there. And that's the reason in my career, quite frankly, I didn't go down the technical surveying type route. Whilst I have the qualifications and that, and I could have done that, I actually went down what I would call more of a people route, which was sort of transactional-led, people moving house, et cetera, et cetera, probably for that interpersonal aspect. Yeah, that's a really interesting observation because I think there's something there for surveyors. And I guess maybe, yeah, I don't know, maybe it's linked to the dyslexia thing, I don't know. But but we, we sort of survey using our senses. You know, we're very in tune to people's, well, hopefully, people's body languages. You know, when you walk into a property... You know, your sense of smell, the radar that you've got on, thinking, you know, mm, let me let me prove this isn't here. It's sort of quite sensory here, uh, in many ways. I mean, obviously, surveying is such a broad church. Mm, mm. The, the types of roles that come under the umbrella of, say, being a chartered surveyor. I mean, you, you name it, it there's, a, there's a part of, part of chartered surveying that, that fits into that. But if you take the residential sector, which is really my sort of, whether you're a surveyor, whether you're an estate agent, a conveyancer, whoever you are involved, it's about people. The property yeah. just is the thing that gets transacted. The property is, you know, obviously the physical thing, but all of the, 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 the relevant stuff is why people are moving, what's driving them. It could be, you know, an extended family. It could be bereavement. It could be divorce. There's a million, you know, job losses, whatever it is. There's a whole backstory to absolutely everything. And those people that understand that and have the empathy, not necessarily, not sympathy, but empathy to deal with people on that, whether they're a surveyor or whether they are a frontline estate agent, to my mind, that's where the, um, that's where, you know, really makes the difference. I was really interested in the Agents Together program that was put together for surveyors, those who are RITS members, we have Lionheart, which is yep. a benevolent fund, which offers similar, sort of slightly different, maybe not as as, as business-led perhaps. So there's somewhere to, to reach out to. In my own community, in the Surveyor Hub community, through the last year, you know, with, with lockdown, it's been a growing community, but we've really seen people reach out and say, do you know what? I'm not okay. And I'm glad that we've got a place to do that because you're right, we're not we're not meeting up with people, you know, we're losing that interaction, but perhaps having forums like that or opportunities to say, I'm not okay, makes it okay, if that makes sense. I remember um, early on when I first started the group, maybe it's about six months in, there was a, a post from somebody who'd taken a picture of this really fat cat as it was sat on the sofa and, he, and the surveyor had been there a couple of hours and he took a picture of this cat and it was sort of just slumped. And he said, you know, this cat hasn't moved in the last couple of hours. It just looks like it needs a remote in front of it and it could, <laughs> it could watch the telly. And the thread then, you know, was, you know, animals I've seen in a day and it was sort of quite funny. Um, and then um, uh, I remember a lady surveyor posted, you know what, 
this has been such fun. I have had the worst day ever and I just feel on my own. And then the conversation started, you know, it didn't talk about mental health, but it was about mental health and it just created that that opportunity. And that's why I always say, you know, let's talk about cats, partly because I don't have a cat, but that's another story. <laughs> but it's creating that that opportunity. So tell me, tell me a bit more about, about Agents Together. I mean, it sounds like it's a sort of similar thing, you know, combination of on the estate agency side. Yeah, I mean, Agents Together was brought together by, um, initially by the Bruce Brothers, um, perhaps not the most popular people in the property industry with a lot of estate agents, obviously having um, set up Purple Bricks originally and now about to launch Boom in the uh, new portal. But they came to, you know, they brought a group of us together. I was asked to get involved along with, um, you know, some other excellent people in the industry and with the intention of, if you like, three pillars healthy minds, healthy business and a healthy industry, because one leads to the other leads to the other. And what we currently do, we've done quite a lot of research in, in, in the sort of well-being area, but generally we're working with mentors. We have over 150 volunteer mentors now across the industry at all different levels, incredibly experienced and well-known people, right down to people who, it might be a branch manager of an estate agent, who then is mentoring somebody who's perhaps a negotiator or or, or something in the industry. And it's an opportunity for a sounding board. It's an opportunity for, for people to grow and learn and develop their own resilience. One of the reasons that I did the qualifications we spoke about earlier was it gives me resilience. Um, I can always fall back on those. It gives me greater confidence that I perhaps know what I'm talking about, hopefully. And that confidence and resilience means that when the inevitable bumps in the road come along, and they do for everybody in some way, shape or form at some stage, you're better equipped to deal with them. And of course, with greater isolation now, with people working remotely and individually more often, that ability to bounce off your colleagues and this sort of stuff, unless it's well managed or, or you know thought through, is harder. So agents together is, is is delivering on that, and the the response has been absolutely fantastic. And as a mentor myself, you know I've mentored now half a dozen people through the through the scheme, and people say, well, what do you get out of it? You know, why are you doing this? Because obviously I'm giving my time for free, et cetera, et cetera. But I get a buzz, if you like, out of helping somebody else. There's an American, oh, he's no longer with us, but Zig Ziglar, you may have heard of, Mm -hmm. who's a sort of a bit of a guru in terms of sort of, um, you know, motivational speaking and and whatever. And Zig came up with a phrase and he said, you can have whatever you want in life if you just help enough other people achieve what they want in life. And I guess I'm coming at it from that angle, as are my colleagues. And so it's extremely rewarding. And if anybody was interested, if they go to the website, they can apply to either be a mentee or be a mentor. Um, yeah, we'll put a link We'll put a link in the podcast, yeah. yeah. That would be great. Yeah. But it's, it's a fantastic organisation. And a lot of the people I work with on the sort of, organ, you know, on the sort of management board, let's call it, are competitors of mine. There are other trainers and sort of consultants in the industry, people like Stephen Brown, Sarah Edmondson, Chris Watkin. Um, these people, I've, I've known them, but we were competitors. We've actually probably shared more in the last year than we have done in the last 20, and we're all gaining from it. So it's it's been fantastic. 
Well, well, and there's that saying, is there, you can't do good without feeling good, mm. you know, and uh, I totally resonate that with the mentoring work that I do. I, particularly on the women in surveying side in supporting, you know, women through and uh, and the community that I have there. I'd love it to just, help more women. They just won't let me. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, we can sort that out <laughs> in many ways. But, but yeah, but it's, um, uh, you know, just that uh, for feeling good about the work that you that you do. <laughs> One of the things that I find when I support surveyors, and I don't know if you find it on the state agency side, is that surveyors tend to think about doing one job. They do one thing. They survey houses and they struggle to then think about, well, how can they diversify their business? And it's a balance of, you know, offering too many things and yeah. feeling like an expert on, on too many things. Because uh, you mentioned resilience and with the housing market and the way that things are, we uh, surveyors I, I see in the, in the ones that I coach and that come through my programs, they don't always think ahead of, you know, one day you might not be able to climb that ladder. How are you going to plan for your business? Some of them don't even have a plan it's just you no know, i just sort of very transactional go out earn the cash to to do the job and then they get to a stage later on in life when they have to pay for their pi runoff cover and they just keep on working until they 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 stop i think the lack of um the lack of business planning is certainly not exclusive to surveyors mm. i would say that the vast majority possibly two-thirds or three-quarters of estate agents do not have a business plan and it's one of my beefs, I've got to be honest. It's one of the areas that I feel absolutely passionately about, that you should have a plan. You should have identified, you know, where you are now, where you want to go to, and then obviously what route you're going to take uh, to achieve it. And you need some clear, smart objectives to be able to measure yourself against it, to know whether you're on track. Now, a lot of surveyors are obviously... Um, some are companies, some are individual people, some are being spoon-fed work from panels and, and other things, mm. but in which case that's that's largely a commodity-led business and you've almost handed your life over to somebody who's who's feeding you. Now, that's fine, but it's different to having to be a hunter-gatherer and actually go out there and generate work for yourself. So it depends on, on where you want to be, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I don't think anybody should say you should be doing this or that, but people should be aware of what the opportunities are and they should decide for themselves. Clearly, if you've got all of your business eggs in one basket, there's a risk, you know, a huge risk to that. I mentioned that I did my ARLA qualification, you know, I know 10 years ago, whenever it was, 12 years ago, because I recognized a change in the in the, in the growth in the market, and I wanted to be able to capitalise upon that, which I've done. That was made easier by making sure, obviously, that I knew what I was talking about in that particular arena and could be recognised by that qualification. One of my criticisms of RICS and, and the other professional bodies or trade bodies is, fine, they do qualifications, but there's very little help with business development. There's very little help with running a business. A lot of the training and mentoring I do is around running a better business because people might have all the technical qualifications in the world, but that doesn't mean to say they've got a scooby-doo about how to go out and actually win business, be profitable, manage business, you know, etc. That's a different thing entirely. It is. And I've come across quite a few surveyors that come onto my programs. So I run a mastermind for, for surveyors 
it's a mix of personal development that they may not have had anything like that before because that's the other thing surveyors don't get any kind of support uh, uh, like that and then starting off on the on, on the business basics and I've actually had quite a few surveyors who work for corporates who are thinking of working for themselves and are, are reaching out and a lot of the I spend a lot of time with with people talking about well, why do you why are you a surveyor you know what what is it because whilst in the surveyor hub we might have some really geeky pictures about some really geeky sometimes disgusting looking things you know that there's a reason why and it's it's not just about that it, there is something there about helping people with their homes and in their property that security you know that doing good while while feeling good and getting to getting to the heart of that is really is really important. And you, you talked about business plans and where you want to be. But for me, it always, you know, or look at us quoting, you know, use Zig Ziglar, me with Simon Sinek, start yeah. with why. No, you Start what? with why. Yeah. I'm sorry, I was just going to mention Simon Sinek. It's a great mm. book. And it, it, it is entirely about that. Because if you haven't got that, then really what you're doing, you know, has no resonance, has no meaning. You've got to have a purpose. You've got to have an understanding. And so many people go into business with the wrong sort of view of what why they're doing it and whatever. And actually they probably haven't. It's just that they haven't sat down and thought it thought it through. But they but probably if- but but Michael, they probably haven't had any kind of business support. There hasn't been the role models out there to show how you can run a business without running yourself to the the ground. Well look you know? at Take surveyors. How many companies look to recruit people in, and they recruit? They want somebody who is oven ready. They want somebody who's already qualified, doing the job, to come across and basically do the same job for them that they were probably doing for somebody else, and they just pay them a few bob more. And that's because they're not putting perhaps the time and effort into developing and growing these people and making them be the best they can can be. And the opportunities for graduates to come through, they're there, but they're not there perhaps in quite the same way as they may have been 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. And that, again, is something I want to change. And that's commercial pressure. That's commercial mm. pressure on companies who want to bring somebody in and have them running profitably from day one. Whereas you take a trainee, or for want of a better description, into the business, they're probably not going to be making a return for you initially. The return comes later, but we've got to do, I mean, if somebody hadn't taken a chance on me when I was sick, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you now. It absolutely, this absolutely the same with me. And it is about paying it forward. But the reality is there are commercial pressures. Mm. And, you know, if you're, you're trying to keep a roof over your own head, because let's face it, not all surveyors and property professionals are well paid. You know, so the, uh, there's very much about, people focusing on the the commercial pressures. And what I see with a lot of surveyors that I work with is that they their idea of what it means to grow a business and what success looks like is building mini empires. <laughs> and, well, you know, the, the more work, just because there's work coming in, doesn't mean it's the right work for you to do, but they will take it on because there's work there and there's an opportunity to create more money, but more jobs and more money means I have to take on more people. And there's that pressure and I, they, they, they build it up and then they realise, actually, I don't like managing people <laughs> because my, I'm a surveyor. <laughs> well, my, my, my business now is me um, mm. you know, and has been for the last 10 years. And people, you know, I could have brought other people in, but actually people work with me because actually they, you know, bluntly that 
blow my own trumpet. They, they want me. And, and that's fine. And I can charge appropriately and have enough work to suit me, et cetera, et cetera. It's absolutely ideal. I, I'm way beyond the stage of wanting to build an empire and, uh, you know, have a big building with Integra property services written on it and all that sort of stuff. Um, you can make that out of Lego, you know that. Well, you know, but, but <laughs> of course these days that's that's not necessarily a good sign because, you know, that probably means that you're less productive than you, you should be. Mm. But this is all part of planning, et cetera, in terms of what somebody wants and, and what somebody can can deliver. And I do feel that there is still a lot more scope for business development, man, you know, business management, personal development aspects, alongside the technical things that the, the professional bodies generally deliver very well. So, yeah, that's a sort of an area that um, needs to happen. But um, also, I think people have got to decide do they want to hand their career over to somebody, be commoditized? People are scared of fees. They think, oh, to win more business, I've got to cut my fee. It's the same in estate agents. It's the same in everything. When it gets a little bit tougher, you've got two choices, you know, in, in fees. You can, well, three choices. You can put them up, you can leave them where they are, or you can put them down. Well, so many people just cut their fees to try and win more work. Well, actually, you end up doing more and more work for less and less money obviously and there's a balance there perhaps mm. people don't think about it enough they just blindly go down an alley and um I'll, I'll be honest you know people should be you know particularly professional people who've put a lot of work into reaching a certain level of technical ability you know etc should not be afraid of charging what they're worth do you know i talk about this so much and there's nothing better with my coaching clients when i see them put their fees up you know, and they're surprised that they they can. But I guess the problem is that for a lot of surveyors, state agents, it's a common problem is that you're too busy looking at the competition and not looking at yourself. And when you know who you are and what you're about, there is no competition. You've got to differentiate, haven't you? Hmm. If there's 10 surveyors in a, in a row or 10 estate agents in a row, and I'm a consumer or, you know, client, who am I going to choose? Well, I'm going to make that choice based on probably a number of factors. Price might be one of them, but it's probably not the number one factor. You know, things like social proof, recommendation will be part of it, but it's really the things that somebody does perhaps differently. How much I trust them. So, the, you know, the, that's the key, because we're talking about whether it's having a survey done or selling a house. This is usually around the biggest transaction in people's lives. And the one thing they want is as much certainty and, and trust in whoever they're dealing with. Conveyances are the same. And if you take, you know, you could argue that the two most professional people in a house buying selling process are the surveyor and the, the conveyancer. Now, I would argue that there's a lot of professional estate, but nevertheless, those would be the two in qualification terms. And they are probably the lowest paid and the most commoditized of that. Now, I'm partly to blame for that on the conveyancing side because I set up conveyancing within the Connells group and panels of um, – we beat up lawyers to get the fees down and all that type of stuff. But they didn't have to do it. Mm. And they've been let down by their professional bodies in the same way as surveyors have a little bit and have ended up towards the lower end of the food chain, not the upper end of the food chain. And, of course, partly – 
it's because the estate agent is the catalyst for the process. People don't go to a surveyor first. They don't go to a lawyer first. They tend to go to an estate agent first. Therefore, the estate agent, if they're any good, grabs that customer, wins their trust, and dictates how the rest of it but, works. But, you know, it doesn't have to be like that. And just because you've got a professional body, whatever sector you're in, that isn't doing quite enough for you, doesn't mean that you can't go and do your work your way, that you can't charge the fees that you that you want to, that you deserve to, that you can't really hold the customer's hand all the way through the home buying and selling process. And I think, I think particularly for surveyors, there's a, an empowerment piece, which I, I talk a lot about, empowering surveyors to do the job, to do the surveys and give the advice that they they really want to. You know, I talk to, to surveyors about simple things like having an ideal client. There is such a thing. You do not have to just accept the work that's thrown at you, the scraps, you know, that, that's left behind from panel. But also it could be a lifetime service in so much that... Mm, absolutely. If, you got, if, if you're the prof- a professional advisor for somebody through the transaction, I'm guessing here because I've never studied it with surveyors, you would know better than I, but I imagine in many cases they do the job they put the invoice in, they get paid, and then they very sit. Tran- yeah, very transactional. And mm. then they, so it's transactional, and then they're just waiting then and praying that there's no PI claim afterwards. That's basically it. Uh, but actually, they could stay in contact with that client because that client will be doing something else probably at some stage that they could help them with. Or they will have family or friends or whatever. And so that ability to build your business that way is largely missed, in my view, by professions like surveyors who see it as a one hit move on next hit move on estate agents have woken up to this not perfectly but have woken up to it surveyors could do more and when you look at that that sort of lifetime relationship that you have with a client that's when you start to diversify you know that's when you can do different types of work the ebb and flow of your business, the markets, there are different things that you can then start to bring in. And we're really talking about the life cycle of a property, you know, and a, a, and a relationship that you have with clients. And, and that's where the opportunity is. And the thing is, once you've engaged a customer and you talked about trust, you know, once you've got that trust, you just need to maintain it. It's harder to go out and and earn that again and bring in new new clients. So of course, a lot of surveyors, a lot of surveyors are getting work, as I say, fed to them. And so they may be contracted that they can't do some of this. But if it's private type work that's coming into them, all you've got to do is end every conversation you have with somebody by saying, now that I've helped you with whatever it is, do you know anybody else that I could help? And I tell you, people's minds go into oh, yeah, Fred down the road's thinking of doing something, or my auntie's. You will double your business in a year if you end every conversation by that using that sentence. You just need to ask, don't you? You just, need, you just need to ask. That reminded me of um, a friend of mine, a surveyor who I won't name, who, who sent me a message uh, a couple of weeks ago. When he worked with me as a, a graduate, I was running um although my background is defect complaints and um, valuation claims, I was actually running a sales team and he was a graduate surveyor uh, with me and we talked about how to get testimonials and feedback. And I said, you just ask, you know, and, and so he started to ask his, his clients and you know, customers, you know, if you think I'm good, give me a 10 
or words to that effect. And um, and he's moved on in his career now. And he sent me a message to say that his he keeps on getting these sort of five star Google reviews. And his company have said, "Can you please stop asking? Because it's making everyone else look bad." <laughs> you just think totally missed the point. But it's easy to ask, you know, and it's not putting pressure on people. It's just it's almost an invitation. And actually, customers want to say, yes, you did good, because it's helping them validate the fact that they've invested their time, right money choice. and energy and made the right choice. Yeah. And and customers just want to know that they've done a good thing and done the right thing. But if you're going to do that, if you're going to ask for, say, a Google review, for example, which, you know, is fantastic, make it easy for somebody. So, you know, send them customer an email. Customer ease, yeah. Customer ease. With a link in it or whatever. Because if people have to scratch around to find a way, then life gets in the way. If you mm. make it very easy for somebody to do this, and providing, of course, you've done a decent job, hey, people are, you know, we're, we're naturally happy to do that uh, as, mm. as human beings. And the money that some people, I mean, in the estate agency world, the money that the agents spend on the portals, for example, they're on all, you know, three or four portals. You know, they, they have no idea where they're getting a return on their investment. And yet you talk to any estate agent, they'll tell you that half their business comes in from recommendations. Well, if they put more effort into the recommendations and reviews and all that, they probably wouldn't need some of this other stuff. I'm not saying they wouldn't need the portals at all. And it wouldn't but, cost as much. Of course, it doesn't cost anything except time, which of course is money, but you haven't got to pay for anything. And this is part of understanding business. This is part of the stuff that self-employed people, people running their own businesses, this is part of the coaching and training that you obviously do with people that you interact with and I do with mine, that mm. people need to seek out, in my view, and find, because it would pay for itself a million times over in terms of how they could you know, redefine their business and give themselves a better opportunity of being successful. I feel good about their business. You know, I, I want surveyors to enjoy the work that they do, not just the the inspecting, the geeky stuff, you know, but actually enjoy running the business and being in control. Part of the reason I, I, I didn't choose to go down a, a surveying route was I had no real desire for what was behind the wall, to find out what was behind the wallpaper, really. I mean, you know... I can still remember, you know, Merylias Lacrimans and uh, Anobium Punctata and all that sort of uh, stuff. And, you know, I, I, so I've got a working knowledge of, you know, bits and pieces and, you know, Flemish Bond and all these sort of things that I seem to recall. Um, You're playing a pub but, quiz, you mean? Yeah, I, I'm okay. I'm <laughs> trivial pursuit. But I actually was, as I said earlier, far more interested in the people side of the transaction and a little bit more the superficial aspects of the property rather than the detail. Now, the detail is important, and that's why we have surveyors. So they play a really important role, but they would be perceived by a lot of estate agents as, oh, God, they've instructed a surveyor, you know, oh, God, because the best that's going to happen is it's going to be okay. Anything else is, oh, God, you know, a hassle. But there's an education piece there from surveyors mm -hmm. to estate agents. And good local surveyors working in a local community work with their local estate agents, but you've got to put a bit of time into nurturing that situation. And they work together to get the best results for their mutual clients. It can all be done. It's just a question of actually applying it. So let me, let me ask you about that, because that's one of the things I think we're both interested in, is the whole property sector. Mm -hmm. You know, how all of these component parts and people, how we can work better together. Because we very much work in silo, 
there's very much the stereotype of, an, you know, an estate agent looks about 12 with spiky hair, you know, a surveyor. <laughs> yeah, you haven't. <laughs> um, you know, a surveyor, you know, wears tweed with elbow catches. Yep. A conveyancer, you know, is a, walks around carrying a, a folder and a piece of paper. You know, because we've got these, or maybe it's just me, but we've got these stereotypes. And yet now more than ever, we need to break that down. But what I'm seeing is now more than ever that there's an appetite and people, senior people in the industry working together to break down those, those barriers. Well, collaboration has always existed at various levels, usually on a fairly ad hoc, localised basis. I'm, I'm a director of a tech business, uh, of a prop tech business called TechLet, which is a CRM sales and lettings platform. And we join up the processes so but we don't try and do it all ourselves so for example on property maintenance we plug in fixed flow pro um, on, on client accounting we plug in pay prop or let's pay so it's a modular system that allows our customers to join up the whole instead of separate silos create a coherent flow but not necessarily within all with one, but using technology and APIs and whatever, it can all be done in one place. Now, the same has happened true in the analog physical world. And it horrifies me when I talk to negotiators on training courses, how little they often know about the conveyancing process. And then you get conveyancers complaining that these negotiators are phoning them up all day long, asking them what's going on and wasting their time. Whereas if the negotiators actually understood the process, then they would be able to make a more um, relevant intervention in the transaction to help it. But that is also partly the conveyancers' fault because the conveyancers have done very little to educate mm-hmm. the estate agent. And we do need everybody to have a much better understanding of each other's roles, why, how we can work together. I've never met a surveyor yet who wants to go round and destroy a housing transaction by finding a whole load of problems. Clearly, if there is going to be a whole load of problems, they've got to, they've got to raise them and, and whatever else. But if everybody is solution conscious, not problem conscious, doesn't mean to say you ignore the problems any more than you would do as a conveyancer on an issue on title or the lease or something or other. You'd, you'd obviously have to deal with it. But we need to all be focused solution-wise and not see it as an adversarial conquest and we're still you know i'm afraid quite a long way short Mm -hmm. of that and i guess some of that is because we're recognizing who we're acting for you know we've got clients contracts over who we can and can't speak to but you know in the future doesn't mean that that can't change well the home buying and selling group that um, you're a participant in and and, and i'm i'm a participant in actually has stakeholders from right across the the entire sector, you know, from government through to surveyors, through to lenders, estate agents, you, you name it, search companies, everybody involved in the process. And he's looking at finding ways of breaking down some of these barriers and, and streamlining the process a little bit for the benefit ultimately of the consumer. Now, it's a big ask. It's going to take time. It'll take baby steps to, to get there. But just the fact that there are those people talking is helpful. Rome wasn't built in a day. And I, and I think it's talking in the spirit of collaboration, you know, to have that common vision and purpose and, and, and goal. I guess 
some of the things that I'm always aware of when you've got groups of people together is that they tend to be the corporates or they tend to be the senior people. And when does, how do we make sure that collaboration doesn't become some kind of cartel, you know, of let's keep the SMEs out, you know, I mean, being very cynical there. But I think at the, from what I see, there's a there's a real spirit and appetite to do things better. And I think as society, it'll be interesting to see what comes out of COVID because we're all just ready to just sort some stuff out in the world in, in, in general, you know? I agree. I think the this point about the sort of the big players or the corporates and, and the sort of, you know, the small independent businesses and things, I think there's, a you know, there are a couple of factors there. Often these structures within the big corporates are such that they can spare somebody can spare the time to to get involved whereas maybe the hands-on front-end guy who's owner managing his business finds that a little more difficult but that is also where the professional bodies have a, a part to play mm. because the professional bodies all rely on their members um, whether that's the NAA, RICS, they all rely on their members for various things. Within RICS, I was the first um, chairman of the residential faculty back in 2000 because I, I was vice president of the ISBA when we merged with um, RICS in 2000 and so got involved with the RICS at the time. I have to say I fell away from my involvement with RICS because I, I wasn't convinced about the, the structure and, and, and what was happening. But you know, you could argue, well, I should have, you know, stayed inside the tent rather than outside weeing in, you know. But the the fact is that those bodies could facilitate more because it is difficult for individuals to put the time and that into some of these things. But actually, if they really cared and there was a forum, they'll find the time. And they will get out of it as much as they put in. Every time I've been involved in something, I've got probably got far more out of it. Do you know what? That's that's so that's so true and important. If it's important to you, you'll make it a priority. Mm. But I think you're right, there is a there is a time and a place for knowing how much good you can do inside the tents, as you say, or or outside. And you know, and I've experienced that myself. You know, I mean, for my, for me, I'm on at the moment on RICS Governing Council. Mm-hmm. Uh, that takes an awful lot of my time, particularly at the moment. I'm an SME. I work, you know, I work for myself, yeah. but I care about it enough to know that, you know, to be in the right place to make a difference means to be in that kind of, in that kind of position. You know, you get to meet like-minded people. You get to meet, um, so it's good from a networking point of view. You know, which could be business or whatever. It's great from a point of view of knowledge, information. All of this stuff makes you the person, or helps shape the person you are. I, you know, I was involved in these things for years and years. Mm. I'm still involved in various organisations and, and bits and pieces outside of business. I'm a member of an educational trust that looks after some academy schools in the area that's a completely volunteer thing and you could argue has no real you know direct benefit to me at all but i get something out of it because i'm meeting people and it's a different environment and it's ex- it's experience you know i got my my first opportunity of any kind of board experience on a school governor there's any way i could 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 move forward I, I think, though, you know, there's a lot of people who have given their time to whether it's RICS boards, committees or, or otherwise. And sometimes, you know, you, you talked about sort of falling away from it, mm-hmm. you know, and I think sometimes it's OK to have 
give yourself permission to say, I've done what I need to do here and to do to carry on the, the cause, if you like, but but in a different way. Well, plus the fact you, you do need fresh blood from time to yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. You know, so you don't want, oh, it's that silly old sod that's been there for the last 25 years or something. You know, there's a lot of benefit in experience and people who are, you know, embedded in the thing. But there's also the need for the bright young things or whatever to come through. Look at our ICS. Um, I mean, you talked about your uh, women in surveying group. I, I, I don't know exactly what the stat is, but, you know, it seems to me that the presidential line for the last few years and ahead, uh, has it's probably moved towards women rather than um, mm. the other way. Now, that's fine because as far as I'm concerned, what we want is the, the best person for the role. It doesn't matter to me whether they're a Martian or what they are. Um, it's providing that they're the, you know, the, the, the right person for the, for the role. And I think that, that that is encouraging. And I think within the professional bodies, they, that element of diversity has been handled quite well. And women have found themselves in these in these roles perhaps more so than they have in business although i think that's changing as well because a, a lot of my clients have for example female directors or partners or whatever in their businesses there are still other areas of diversity where it, it probably still needs to you know improve a little bit but it is happening it is changing certainly in comparison you know when i started in the industry I mean, the only ladies we saw in the industry, bluntly, were usually behind a typewriter. And that has changed, thankfully, d- dramatically over... Yeah, because we don't have typewriters anymore, well, Michael. No, we don't. <laughs> but not only has that changed, but the role has changed. Yeah. <laughs> Michael, it's been really lovely to talk to you today. Thank you ever so much. That's my pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. So, thanks for listening to today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I really do love hearing your feedback, so please feel free to drop me a message. You can email me at marion.ellis at blueboxpartners.com or you can find me on social media at Marion Surveyor.